Okay, so I want to carry on from last week, a second part on the subject of contentment, unpacking a verse that's in the book of Philippians, um, chapter 4, where, where Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hunger, in hunger, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we were saying last week that we live in probably the, one of the most affluent generations that we've ever lived in. There's more opportunities, more options, more possibilities, travel, work, um, and things that we can have. Um, uh, there's plenty, and yet we probably live in one of the discon- most discontented generations that have ever lived on the planet. And when they measure measurements of happiness, we're probably one of the most unhappy generations that's ever been alive, ever. If you compare this generation to other generations... We're not the most content and most satisfied generation that's been alive. And here Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of being content, of being satisfied. And we want to unpack a few of the things that the Bible tells us about how to be satisfied. Because Paul is saying in these verses, and remember that Paul is one of the most visionary people ever in the Bible. He's saying, I'll be satisfied, content, if I'm in jail, I'll be content, I'll be satisfied if I'm a millionaire. I'll be satisfied, content if people think I'm great. I'll be satisfied if I succeed. I'll be satisfied if people don't think I'm great and don't even like me. I'm satisfied in everything I do. Nothing can make me respond negatively. I'm not a victim to delay. I'm not a victim of success. Mm. So it's an incredible thing that Paul is saying, I learned a secret. I learned a secret. Don't about you, when you hear that, you think, what is that secret, Paul? Because the life you're describing here is the life that we're craving after. That kind of inner world culture of, of contentment, of satisfaction, of hope, of joy, that can't be infected and stolen from what goes on around us. And we want that kind of culture in your heart. So the way you navigate life that you're not broken by success, because some people are, and you're not broken by delay, but you're content in every and all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so the first lesson we, we learned last week was that Paul says, I've learned the secret. In other words, he's saying, something has been taught to me from God that wasn't anything to do with my natural personality. Paul is not saying... I'm content in all these ways because I'm just a really satisfied person and that's my personality. He's saying, no, I learned the secret. And we can also um, uh, learn from that that contentment and satisfaction wasn't a spiritual gift he got zapped into. You know, if we said at the end of the meeting, we said now, right, if you want to be content and you want to be satisfied and you want to be all these things that the Apostle Paul was in terms of his inner heart and satisfaction, just come forward and the Holy Spirit will give you an immediate gift of contentment and satisfaction. We'll all come rushing forward. (laughs) But Paul says, I learned the secret. I went to God's school. I went to God's gymnasium. And sometimes the way I learned was challenging and difficult. Remember in... Asia, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of what we experienced in the province of Asia. He says, I despaired of my very life. 
In other words, it was so tough and so difficult, I wanted to die. And then he said, but this happened so that we wouldn't depend on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's saying when pressure came, God, the one who uses everything and wastes nothing, redeemed it and he taught me something through it. I went to God's school, I went to God's gymnasium, circumstances were redeemed so that I would learn how to be satisfied in God and in God alone. And also we just looked at another lesson, was that contentment and satisfaction is an inside job. Yeah. In other words, Paul is saying, I've learned the secret of, of being satisfied through Christ who strengthens me. It's an inside job. And we use the illustration of our Swiss cheese soul can't be filled from the outside in. You know, the Swiss cheese has got all those little holes in it. Um, and the Bible says that that can't be filled from the outside in. And that God wants us to enjoy all things. That he, he, he wants us to enjoy the dreams, the legitimate longings, um, the things that we're after, the things that we'd love to do, the places we'd love to visit. He, he, he loves it when we want our business or our career to progress and grow. He loves it when we go and get an education and when we want to learn and we want to be developed. He loves it when we've got dreams to be married. He loves it when we've got dreams to have children. He loves it when we've got dreams of doing certain things. But those things can't fill our Swiss cheese soul. We can't ask them to do things that they can't do. That satisfaction and contentment is an inside job. It's something that happens inside rather than looking for circumstances and situations to fill our, our soul and do what they can't do. And that's often why we're often discontented and disappointed with circumstances or things or people or situations because they didn't do what we hoped them that they would do because they can't do it. Mm. Yeah. So, some new stuff now. Lesson three from Paul and how he learned the secret of being content is this, that God is not a cruel joke God. In other words, he doesn't give um, prophetic promises, um, vision and inspiration just to set us up to fail. And that the powerhouse behind inheriting um, prophetic promises and things over our life is not circumstances aligning perfectly on the outside, but the powerhouse of inheriting the things that God promises both the individual and a local community, a local church, is identity. That Paul says to Timothy, I want you to fight according to the, the prophetic assessment of God. I want you to fight um, to believe what God says about you and the identity that God has spoken over you. So contentment then. So if we believe that um, I can only become what God has promised me to become if my circumstances aligned, then if we feel there's a block between us and our prize, we become irritated, frustrated, 
discouraged and disappointed. But if we believe that actually inheriting momentum and inheriting what God has called us to be is actually about believing the the prophetic assessment of God, (coughs) that it's, it's actually inside me, it's not something that happens to me, it changes everything. And so, <coughs> sometimes we can think it's only when all the resources come in, it's only when all the opportunities come in, it's only when all the opinions come in, it's only when everything aligns perfectly that we can step into the thing that God has got for us. And Paul says, no, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can be fruitful in any circumstance <coughs> and any situation because for Paul, it's got nothing to do with my environment, it's got nothing to do with my circumstances, it's got nothing to do with resources, it's got nothing to do with what people think or don't think of me, it's got everything to do with who he is and what he says about me. Mm. That's why Paul says I can be content and satisfied in any and every situation. And in other words, he would say, nothing external can block me, nothing external can hinder me, nothing can stop me being who God has called me to be. So when he finds himself in prison, he doesn't say, oh, God's a cruel joke, God. He gave me prophetic promises to go to the Gentiles and to the nations, and he seduced me by a promise, and now he's let me down. Paul doesn't say that. He says, this internal world he has just shares the gospel with everybody in prison. And he will then look out the window and see a soldier and write Ephesians 6 and be inspired by the Holy Spirit. You lock him up, he'll write a letter to change the world. You lock him up, he'll say, well, this has served to encourage other people to be more bold with the gospel. All being worked together for good. I'm unstoppable. Mm. Can you see it's an internal world? It's the way he, he sees the world. Mm. It's like if you put um, a coal, if you put a warm pot in a freezer, initially it's going to raise the temperature of the freezer, isn't it, by a few degrees. Mm. After half an hour, that pot is frozen. And that's like it would be with Paul. He'd learn, discouragement can come in and it might wobble him, then he draws on the strength that Christ provides and then just cools it down because there's an environment within his heart, as it were, like a freezer, that any disappointment, any discouragement, any irritation, any frustration that comes, he draws on the strength of Christ and it becomes the temperature again of his hope-filled joy-filled, peace-filled, satisfied, content heart. <laughs> He's a living example of Psalm 1-3 where it says, I'm, I'm, I'm planted by streams of water. Remember that in Psalm 1-3? I put my roots down, I've been positioned, I've been placed by streams. And he puts his roots down into Christ and says, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. I'm drawing on another resource, I'm drawing on another thing. So whatever my circumstances are saying or not saying, or the difficulties are, are, are around me, he had a resource in Christ. He was drawing on it, drawing on it. 
And so when there was delay, his leaves didn't go dry and brittle and fall off. And when he had a success, he didn't get distracted from the source that's Christ. He kept putting his roots down, roots down, roots down. And we, this is what God is calling us into, that we are those who, who so believe the promises that we have a resource, that we have a strength, that we have a capacity, that we have an energy, we have a life that people around us have no idea about. Because the world out there is, is, is looking for something out there to satisfy them, frustrated, irritated, angry when things get blocked. The believer has a secret route going deep, deep down into another resource. And it's not that we are um, um, not feeling what's going on around us. We feel things, but the temperature of our heart, the culture of our heart, the way we see, just takes hopelessness. It might feel hopeless for a moment, then it becomes hope. And we become hope-filled. There's always an answer. And we can see that when Paul is in Corinth, and they were criticising him and saying, oh, well, we're, we're with Apollos, we love Apollos, you're not much of an apostle, Paul. And, oh, we're with Peter, you're not much of an apostle. Paul's response is this, do you know what? I ultimately don't really care what you think. <laughs> I know who I am. And then he says, do you know what? I really don't even care what I think. I only care what God thinks. It's, it's the Lord who justifies me, or it's the Lord who gives identity. Can you see that? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heart belief system that gets its identity, its worthiness, not from performance, but from the assessment of God. And yet at the same time, is open to the truth being spoken in love, is open to correction, input, and advice. If you want to know who you should receive correction from in the Bible, it would be a donkey all the way through to a madman. <laughs> yeah. but, you, know, you see Balaam's donkey giving some feedback. <laughs> you see a madman coming up to David. Do you remember? King David said, oh, maybe this is the Lord. There's opportunity to learn from everybody. There's opportunity to learn from a child. There's opportunity to learn and not be crushed. So you say, actually, I don't care what you think. I don't really care what I think. What does God think? But I'm open to feedback from everyone. That's how Paul could say, I'm always satisfied because I'm drawing on another assessment. Take Joseph from the Old Testament. He's got this prophetic word that the brothers are going to bow to you, and then he goes through something like 13 years of contradictory circumstances. The Psalms say the promise was tested in his heart. But Joseph was a leader whatever his circumstances were. So he's a leader amongst his brothers. The brothers sell him as a slave. He's a leader in Potiphar's house gets accused of something falsely, gets chucked into prison. He's a leader in prison. He then gets elevated to work for Pharaoh. He's a leader over the whole of Egypt. Because identity, prophetic assessment, was what was governing him, whether it was with his brothers who were jealous and rejecting, whether it was with Potiphar where he was a slave, whether it was in prison where he's a prisoner, or elevated to the palace, Joseph is the same in every, in any, in every situation. That's why people say it's possible to bloom wherever you're planted. 
He sees that some of us carry callings from God and we're waiting for circumstances to elevate us so that we enter into it, where identity is that inner core belief that who he says I am, I am. So I can be a world changer in every and any circumstance, even if my job is ironing and folding sheets all day, I'll be a world changer there. And you might say, but that sounds really, that sounds really harsh. Because it's not that you can't have ambitions to get out of that place. It's not that you can't have ambitions to um, do the career that you used to. Because sometimes when people move countries, and some of you have had great jobs where you were, and you come into this country, you think, oh, my qualification doesn't work here, and now I'm on the bottom rung. No, have ambition to get all your qualifications here and be what you want to be and be who he's made you to be. But don't expect that when you get to where you want to be that that's going to satisfy your soul because it won't. And be a world changer wherever you are. Because that's what the examples of like Paul and Joseph. Joseph's internal world, what he really believed was, I just love this word, catalytic. It changed the things around him. And some of us feel like we're slaves and victims of circumstances because we're looking for circumstances to validate us and promote us and give us what we need. But faith and identity is catalytic. It transforms everything around us. So that's why Joseph could be in prison and be a transformer of prison life, prophesying. Life is with Joseph. He's got an internal world that's transforming the world around him. So persistence and consistence and resilience (coughs) are like someone described the three superpowers. You be consistent wherever you are. You be persistent wherever you are. You be resilient wherever you are. Drawing on Christ is transformative around you. A private victory always becomes a public one. We see that with David, he fought the lion, he fought the bear. In public, he fought Goliath. Private victories, what you're thinking about, your circumstances, (coughs) drawing on Christ becomes a public thing. Little things become big things. One of my favourite declarations is, it's impossible to be successful on the inside and for that not to manifest on the outside. It's impossible not to be content and joyful and peaceful and hopeful wherever you are, and for that inner world not to impact and change and transform the world around you. So good. Mm. Lesson four. There's only a couple more. There is a false belief amongst prophetic futurists and visionaries that contented people are passive. Who, who would describe this? I'm a, I see the future, in the sense, not your future fortune teller. <laughs> you see that prophetic sense, I'm, I'm believing for what God's doing, I'm believing for what he's doing in me, I can see the future. Who would be that kind of wired that way, you're that kind of prophetic visionary? And sometimes prophetic visionaries, like, I'm just that, I'm wired that. It's easier to see the future than it is to live in today. That's my battle hard for me to be satisfied and content in the now because I can see what's possible so clearly in the future. So that's where my swish chili soul needs to be filled with him in the moment, not just living into the future. 
But it can be that sometimes futurists and visionaries and prophetic people think, surely the, uh, the, the contented and the satisfied are just so unaware that they don't see the needs around them. And so it's almost that the, the, the visionary then says, I don't want to be satisfied and I don't want to be contented. Because if I become satisfied and contented, where's the energy going to come from to keep me on my toes? Yeah. And so it can be the trap for the visionary prophetic is I constantly live in the discontented, dissatisfied state because that somehow gives me the impetus and the energy to keep peering over the horizon. And Paul would say, hey, I'm pretty much one of the most visionary, prophetic, futurist people who have ever lived on the planet and I can live with when, the, when it's all happening and when nothing's happening. Because yeah. I've learned a secret. I've learned a secret where I can be visionary and prophetic and peering over the horizon on my toes to where the gospel, where the kingdom can go next. But in this moment, I'm the most satisfied, content person in Christ. Yeah. I can do both. That's good. So contentment is the capacity to live with great expectation, great anticipation, great excitement about what's God going to do next, and yet completely satisfied and content in the moment. It's the capacity to live with every circumstance contradicting the promise, and yet not accusing God of being a cruel joke God, and yet finding joy and contentment in him in this moment. It's the decision to say, I will not miss the smile of God, whatever's going on around me. Even if everything around me looks opposed to the promise of what he said about my future. Lesson five then, and the last one. Rejoice in process. This is the antidote for if you're a prophetic, visionary, discontented with the moment. Live with a rejoicing attitude in process because God loves process somebody once said that God's love language is process because he loves relationship and he gets to know us and we get to know him through process if he just turned up and did it all there's no process and then there's no invitation into relationship and he wants us to go deep with him do you remember the story of Nehemiah? He hears that Jerusalem's walls are down. He's moved by God to restore Jerusalem, to get the walls back in place. And there's a moment when the walls are in place, but the gates are not yet in place. And Ezra reads out the promises of God, the covenant of God, and the people begin to mourn and weep because they realise they've really fallen short from living according to what it looks like to be a follower of God. And they're mourning. And then Nehemiah stands up and says, Rejoice, this is a time for feasting. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Nehemiah is saying in that moment, the gates are not in place yet, we're not finished. And we've just heard how far we've fallen short of how God has called us to be. But this isn't a time for mourning or sackcloth and ashes or despair. This is a moment for rejoicing, delighting and being glad. To rejoice in process. To rejoice in the moment we're in now. To, to milk this moment for everything it is. It's that moment when you say, God, 
I'm seeing that I want to see this attitude changed. And you're thinking, oh, I see this attitude and I, I want to see it change. And God says, rejoice, let the joy of the Lord be your strength. It's going to change through process. Find something to rejoice about in it. Wow. If you got less frustrated or irritated by circumstances than you did last week, rejoice in process. If, if you only got grumpy once and you used to get grumpy eight times, rejoice in process. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm not as grumpy as I used to be. I was only grumpy once. Yes, rejoice in process. The gates are not in place in, in Nehemiah's language, but the walls are in place. Rejoice in process. Rejoice in what God is doing. Paul says in this, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Find something to rejoice in and about, about yourself, about God, about your circumstances, about what's happening in your life. Rejoice, see where the proce- where process is taking place. Because satisfied people rejoice. Thanksgiving, appreciation and gratitude are doorways into joy. The Holy Spirit is, in his very nature, joy. And when you rejoice, and when you find what to say thank you for, and when you're grateful and appreciative, you connect to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is joy. And joy, Nehemiah says, is strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And so that's a powerhouse for the contented, is I'm connecting to Christ who gives me strength, and joy is strength. And so we're not just gritting our teeth and getting by. We're we're those who put our roots into Christ. So we should be, not like the stoical kind of gritting our teeth kind of people, but the most joyful, alive people on the planet. Whatever's facing us and whatever we're going through, or however tough it is. And finding a reason for joy. James says, rejoice. In various trials... There's a, there's a rejoicing because trials bring upgrade, trials bring maturity. Let me read that verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And so it's rejoicing in this moment in the process. He's going to use everything. He's going to waste nothing. He's going to mature me through the process. I'm going to be upgraded and complete and lacking nothing through this moment. And asking God, what's the upgrade, God? What's the upgrade, God? What's the redemption of this? What's going to happen in this process so I'm connecting more to Christ and more to the joy and more to the life that's in him? What do I get in this moment? What's my upgrade? (coughs) I've got a file on my phone called Upgrades. I've got 571 upgrades. Because when I face any circumstance that I'm perplexed or troubled about, I try and get into the habit, what's my upgrade? What's the redemption of this? How are you going to use this? What are you showing me through this? How can I put deeper roots into Christ? How can I connect to the streams of water that I've been planted nearer? Because I've got to see what you're doing, because James says rejoice have joy when you face trials of various kinds. Yeah. There's, some, there's something in this for me. Uh, I'm not worried about the source of the issue. I'm, I'm interested in what's the lesson in it. Sometimes we can get so hung up by, is this from God, is this from the devil, whatever. I'm not worried about the source. I'm worried about the opportunity and the lesson. 
And so joy gives strength. And joy gives the strength to understand that the gap is normal. The gap is always going to be there between who we are now and where we're going. The gap is normal. The gap is always going to be between the prophetic promises leading us higher and deeper and where we are now. Do you know we're never going to close the gap? Never going to close the gap. The gap is always going to be normal. There's always more. And strength from him builds a bridge and, and fuel to keep moving forward and to keep going after what he has got for us. So that when we reach a particular destination, we've got the capacity and the joy to think, wow, there's more. And it keeps us moving forward. And so for us, there's a gap between the prophetic promise and carrying buckets of the presence of God into the streets and percolating at his presence. But, but the gap is getting, in one sense, we're seeing something in the process where there's joy. Like we went out with a prophetic word, look for someone called Stephen. But we found that guy called Stephen, got a chance to pray for him. I saw Stephen again on the street, got a chance to sit with him, talk with him, hear about his life. Something got closed. <laughs> In the pro- there's a process. Did we are we seeing the dead raised in the street yet? No. Are, are we seeing people out of their wheelchairs yet? No. Are we seeing the blind open, the deaf hearing like we want to see yet in the streets? No. But we're, but the strength and the joy of God and saying we heard you say to us go after a man called Stephen. We found a man called Stephen. We prayed for him and we found him again. Wow. The prophetic, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge connected us to him. He remembered our opportunity to talk because he remembered the fact that God had said his name to a bunch of people who didn't know him. And so we rejoice in the moment rather than being frustrated that it's not everything we want it to be. And this strength gives us the capacity that there's always more. And, And the world knows this. They say about Disneyland Paris, Disneyland Paris will never be finished. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I love it. And I love that because it means I get to go again. <laughs> Florida's better. And they're building and they're building and they're building it. I have to go back because they're adding more to it. There's more. There's going to be more rides and more Star Wars and, and, and more things. It will never be finished. And you know that's like that with Jesus is building his church. Yeah. He's saying, look, I'm never gonna, it's never going to be finished. Amen. I'm always adding more rides. I'm always <laughs> building more. Amen. I'm always expanding your horizons. I'm always letting you see more of who you are and who I am and the name I call yes. you. I'm always showing you the beautiful gap between where you are now and where I'm calling you to. Amen. But don't let the gap crush you. Don't let the gap produce discontentment and discouragement and disappointment. I'm not a cruel joke, God. I've not seduced you by a promise to frustrate you. I've given you glimpses of where you are now to call you upwards and to keep calling you upwards into a trusting and loving relationship. Don't become frustrated and think, oh, I'm too weak for it. Get your identity from him. Believing what he says about you. And just enjoy the fact, and I say this to myself, Jamie, enjoy the fact that Disneyland's never going to be finished. Amen. There's always going to be more. Jesus is always restoring more to his church. He's always opening our eyes to greater and greater possibilities. We're just getting glimpses of what the King of Glory wants to do in us and through us and around us. 
Yeah, so we want to be those who put our roots into Christ, because we can only do this through Christ who strengthens mm. us. It's something he does in us and then through us. That rejoicing is a way to connect to strength, and joy gives us longevity. Joy is a beautiful marker of maturity. Yeah. If I'm joyless or you're joyless, we need to ask the Lord, what, are, what lies am I believing about you or my circumstances or the people in my life that I'm joyless? Because joy is a marker of, of growing maturity. Actually, when we're joyful, we're getting it. When we are able to laugh at our situations and know he has an answer, we're beginning to get it. When our emotions begin to line up increasingly with the huge, incredible promises he's given, we're getting it. And so, every believer can be content. Every believer can be satisfied. Every believer has this as we enter into his school, his gymnasium, and let him do his work. Amen. Amen.